We are in Acts, Acts 19. And I love this section. There's just a whole lot, a whole lot of cool going on in, uh, I should have checked to see what year it was. Maybe 2003, Cindy and I got to go to Turkey. Was it 2003? Maybe, maybe. Somewhere around 2003. David was nine months old. We took him with us. And, um, and we got to go to Ephesus. And we got to walk around for a day. Yeah, one day as tourists doing other stuff. And it was really cool to see. And so some of the stuff I'm going to talk about today, um, I, hope, I hope I can take you there. I hope I can get you to picture it, how it, how it was. So Acts 19.1, remember Apollos? We were talking about Apollos last week. And he was preaching the teachings of John the Baptist. And then he found out about Jesus rising from the dead. And he found out about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he was more on fire to preach about Jesus than ever before. And so he goes off to Corinth from Ephesus. Paul has passed through Ephesus. He left Priscilla and Aquila there to teach people and to talk to people. But then he went on and now he is coming back. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus and he found some disciples. It's so weird. It doesn't say he found Priscilla and Aquila. So we don't know if they aren't there anymore, if they've moved on somewhere else, um, if it's been so long that they died. Like, we, we don't know. But their work was fruitful because there are some disciples there. Or at least Apollos's work there was fruitful because they found some disciples. And after interacting with them, Paul says to them this really weird question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we have not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So these, this is now we immediately know, okay, these folks were taught by Apollos, right? Because Priscilla and Aquila would have known about the Holy Spirit and talked about the Holy Spirit, but Apollos didn't until he was on his way out of Ephesus. Paul says, into what, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Isn't that interesting? He says, what, into what were you baptized? They didn't say in water. They didn't say head first. They didn't say full immersion. They didn't say it was sprinkled on my forehead. That wasn't the topic. That was not the question. We've talked about baptism before. Just a little over half of the time that baptism is talked about in the Bible, it's grouping, not so much dipping. It's not so much that you're getting wet. It's that who are you grouped with? So baptism is a, is a collecting, it is a gathering. And so when Paul says, into what were you baptized? He's saying, what, who, what did you join? What did you become a part of? And they said, into John's baptism. John, not the disciple John, John the Baptist. 
Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. And that's Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid, oh, oh, so right there, you could stop. Now they're baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Were they dipped in water? Were they sprinkled? Did fire fall down on them? We don't know. They were probably some sort of water washing thing, right? Remember how Paul, when um, Ananias, nope, Ananias, nope, not Ananias. I don't remember his name. Bible trivia, I failed. The guy that went and got Paul, when Paul got knocked off of his horse, Ananias, maybe not Ananias. Um, he says, Paul, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. So somebody got baptized there, right? Paul got baptized. Maybe it's Annas. Maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. Anyway. Um, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So he did something there and they baptized him. And then it says in verse six, this is where it gets a little crazy. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 of 12 men in all. So remember, they're only counting the men. They don't count the women. So there could have been women here, too. But there's at least 12 men. And it says when Paul laid his hands on them. Now, did he lay his hand? You could really get nitpicky on this and be like, did the Holy Spirit come into them when they were baptized? Or did the Holy Spirit come into them when Paul laid his hands on them? And then you could build up a whole structure of institution that we could start saying you only get the Holy Spirit if somebody lays their hands on you. Or you only get the Holy Spirit if you're baptized in water. Or you only get the Holy Spirit if you're baptized by Paul. Oh, gosh. This is why you got to have the whole Bible, right? This is why you got to look at all the things. Because there's other places where people got baptized and the Holy Spirit was on them and they didn't speak in tongues and they didn't prophesy. There's other places where people prophesied and spoke in tongues and there was no baptism happening. <laughs> so don't use one, one event to make a law for all the other events. Needless to say, what did happen? You had 12 guys in Ephesus, possibly with their wives and kids, and they all love the coming Messiah. And they're talking about the Messiah. And we're so glad that the Messiah has come. And they're living a way of life. And Paul is kind of like, y'all, do you know the name of the Messiah? Do you know he sent his Holy Spirit to live in you? No, we didn't even know that was part of it. When I read this, I see this happening right now here today. It happens in Evansville. It happens in the world where people, they hear, they might even grow up in religion. They hear all these things about religion. And uh, this guy, he, he, in Evansville, asked his middle school youth group to name the Ten Commandments. And they were naming things like, don't smoke. And he was like, What? They had these laws, they had these rules, and of course, 
it's really easy for a middle school kid to follow the law, don't smoke, right? They had these laws and these rules and these things that they were trying to do and trying to do right to make God happy and to make God like them and to be Christian. And none of that's being Christian at all. To follow Christ, to believe in Jesus, to trust him with your sins is to be Christian. And so Paul comes across these people that they had this smattering of laws and this smattering of words and they were really trying to do it. But the whole power of it is the Holy Spirit. And they didn't have that power. And he could kind of tell, y'all are trying to follow a bunch of laws and do a bunch of religious things on your own. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let's bring the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden they're speaking in tongues and they're prophesying. Think about what a change of life that was for them. They were really trying. They, they knew Judaism wasn't, wasn't working. There was something else that God wanted to reveal. They believed all the teachings of John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist, his preaching was awesome. And he was telling soldiers, don't steal. He was telling religious leaders, you know, follow the law of Moses and quit being greedy and quit judging people. John the Baptist had these great teachings, but they were all under law. They were, they were a better way to follow the Mosaic law with all your heart and soul. They weren't forgiveness by trusting Jesus with your sins. So that happens. These people's lives are totally changed. They're now prophesying just like Elijah the prophet would prophesy is a Christian with the Holy Spirit. Just like Isaiah can prophesy is a Christian with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is upon, upon you. So he enters the synagogue and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning, persuading them about the kingdom of God. He made it three months. Remember the other places he's been? He's made it like two weeks, right? Maybe three Saturdays and then out of here. Three months in Ephesus. But when some stubborn, some became stubborn, continued in unbelief, they spoke evil of the way before the congregation. He withdrew from them, took the disciples with him, and went to the hall of Tyrannus. In the hall, of, remember in, in Corinth, he says, you guys, I give up on y'all. I'm leaving. And he walked right next door. And then he started talking and everybody came over, including the synagogue leader and the second synagogue leader. Now he's done kind of the same thing. He's gone over to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. How's that for a statement? He went back over to Tyrannus and he spoke there for two years. All right, let's talk just a little bit about Tyrannus. So in Ephesus, Ephesus was one of the most important cities of the ancient world. It was one of the number one ports. This is like New York City. And all kinds of trade and travel from the Mediterranean Sea went through Ephesus. In Ephesus, they had a temple built to um, Artemis. And Artemis, the statue, the the that archaeologists have uncovered and brought of her that they worshiped is just, it's just disgusting. And she was there, this idol. And they had a temple to Artemis. 
that was four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. So to give you an idea of the scale of this, the Parthenon that's in Athens, if you could pick it up, you could slide it into the temple of Artemis and close the door. And it wouldn't, it would, it would fit inside it. It was so big. The temple of Artemis, they, they weren't dumb. They built it on marshland and mud with a foundation of charcoal. And it's this giant stone building. And why in the world would they do that? Well, whenever there's an earthquake, that marsh and the mud absorbs all the shock of the earthquake. And so your big old giant temple to Artemis doesn't fall down. Pretty tricky, huh? So it stood there. People came from all over the world just to see the temple of Artemis because it was so just miraculous in its scale. It was on the level of the pyramids. The, like People would go and travel and they'd be like, you know, really, really rich people. I traveled to see the pyramids and I traveled to see the temple of Artemis in Ephesus. Like it was the same scale of awesome. So Artemis was this goddess that they worshiped and that was her temple. And just to let you know how crazy things were about the love of Artemis, there were, oh, let me find it. Here we go. There were 33 worship sites from Spain to Syria worshiping Artemis. And it was possibly the biggest religion in the world at the time. So the Greeks, they had all these gods. They Romans borrowed all those gods. They had all these gods and goddesses, and you would worship various ones depending on what you wanted. And the one that got worshipped the most from what everybody wanted was Artemis. She was a big deal. The, uh, yeah, big deal. So she... They, they described her, she was the power that helped women have babies. And so they would have all kinds of people would always be sacrificing to her because they wanted to have babies, right? So there's this one day that the Temple of Artemis, this dude, this, this is totally aside, but I'm just, I want to get you in your mindset of how, what a big deal they thought of Artemis, because that'll be important here. In July of 356 BC, this guy named Herostratus burned down the temple of Artemis. So this is like September 11th scale destruction, right? I mean, like the biggest thing in the world, the thing that everybody knows about all over the world, Herostratus burned it to the ground. It was the same day that Alexander the Great was born and people later said that Artemis was so busy helping Alexander the Great be born that she didn't even care about her own temple to protect it from burning down. Because they were, it was so important that Alexander the Great be born. Does that kind of sound crazy? That was the story they told 20 some odd years later, Alexander the Great is taking over the world and ruling all kinds of things. And he comes to Ephesus and he sees it burned down and he sees the, this rubble 
of this giant thing. And he says, I will commission to pay for it. The city of Ephesus said, no, it would be inappropriate for one God to pay for the building of another God's temple. You can go on. Like that's, they put Alexander the Great up to this level of a God. They put Artemis up to the level, just wow. All right, I'll give you one more crazy thing about Ephesus and then we'll go there. There's a legend, and you gotta be careful with these because they may not be true, so you don't put too much on it, but it's cool if it is true, that the apostle John wrote the gospel of John in Ephesus. And as he preached about the greatness of Jesus, the legend goes that the altar to Artemis in the temple of Artemis broke and shattered into pieces and the presence of Artemis left because no one was interested in her anymore and everybody wanted to follow Jesus. (laughs) Again, that's a legend. I don't know if it's true or not. But wouldn't it be fun if it were, right? All right. So, there he is. Two years in Ephesus, in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. In Ephesus, it was a party city. It was busy. Business would start at dawn. As soon as the sun came up, all everybody would start doing anything. They'd have all kinds of temples, all kinds of religions going on, all kinds of merchants and trades. It was the main port, the main port of the Mediterranean Sea into that whole region of Asia. And then at about 11 o'clock in the morning, work would stop because it would get hot. And we found a historian wrote that Paul would preach every day from 11 to 4. So it's almost like Paul is preaching in the evenings when nobody's working. When everybody's off work, you go to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And you listen to this guy talk and he talks and he would talk from 11 to four every day. And at four o'clock, everybody's done with their midday feast and their midday nap. And then they all wake up and they all go back to work and all the business starts and everything starts hopping. And that's when Paul would stop. So he would preach from 11 to four every day. There's another historian that said that there were more people awake in Ephesus at 1 a.m. than at 1 p.m. There were more people awake in the middle of the night in Ephesus than there were in the middle of the day because it's just a party city. If you've ever been to Las Vegas or New York, these cities that where there's stuff going on all night long, all night long, action, activity, activity. Paul was there. He didn't leave it and say, oh, that city's so evil. They do such horrible things. They've got this giant temple to Artemis with this disgusting idol stacked up to it. No, he said, I'm going to camp out here for two years. Been here for three months. Think I'll just keep on preaching. Oh, it's so hot. It's the heat of the day. Nobody ever goes out. Everybody goes home, takes a nap. Well, that's when I'm going to preach because that's when I can get the hall and I'm going to preach there. And he does it. God did incredible miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So Paul is also working as a tent maker. He's still doing his tent trade. He's probably doing that from dawn to 11 before he goes and preaches all afternoon. And the the words that they use are handkerchiefs that they would use to wipe your sweat off your head. And Paul gives it to somebody, and they run it home to somebody that's sick, and demons come out of them. 
It takes his apron, ugh, and it's got all kinds of cuts on it and scraps of tent material and wool and, and all that business. He's like, here, take that to Sally. And they take it home and Sally gets better. God is working amazing miracles. And it gives credit to God. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. Did you know that there were those? Itinerant Jewish exorcists. Okay, the other thing that happens in Ephesus, Ephesus is the number one top city at this time for witchcraft, for fortune tellers, for all of that stuff. All that nonsense. There, it was so known for this that people would talk about the writings from Ephesus. And if you had writings from Ephesus you knew it was basically a magic book of spells, things to recite, and recipes to mix up to make this or happen or that happen. And you take some of this and you put it in that. They, they had um, some of the Jewish exorcists, they had this story that you would get, the, it was supposed to be handed down from Solomon, that you would get a ring with made out of a certain root, and you would go up to the person that had a demon, and you would shove your ring into their nose as hard as you could, and then pull the demon out through the person's nose, and you would do all these activities and rules and, and magic spells and, and lists. So you got some itinerant Jewish exorcists. That's probably what they were doing. They were probably going around with their little root on their finger trying to pull demons out through people's noses. So they go. The other thing they would do, and the other thing that was in these books of lists, was if somebody has this problem... Here are the name of the angels or the spirits that are bigger and better than that illness. And so you say the names of those and the people will get healed. So these guys do it. They took to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. And they said, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. They knew that Jesus was a more powerful name than whatever spirit was in a person. They knew that much. But they thought that they could use that name like a magic word and make spirits do whatever they wanted, right? I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish priest named Sceva were doing this. And then the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Can you imagine? I don't know who you are. I know Jesus' name, and I, Paul sounds familiar to me, but I don't know who you are. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped upon them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Just beat the snot out of these seven guys. And they all go running out. Okay, so if that happened in Evansville, you think that would be scary? Would people freak out? Would people read that in the news and be like, I don't know about that. Kind of weird. I don't know if that's true. Right? Bunch of nonsense. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. 
and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Okay, the name of the Lord Jesus is powerful, but it's like a magic word that you don't just say. You gotta be, right? Like even, even the people that believed in magic spells and all that, revered, okay, there's something about this Jesus and his power. Many of those who were now believers came, they confessed and divulged their practices. So these were Jewish people and Greek people that were also practicing witchcraft that came to Paul and confessed and said, we have believed that if you wear this kind of root or you drink this kind of tea, that you'll have babies. Or if you do this kind of thing, you'll do that. We confess it all. A number of those had practiced magic arts, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So how much is a piece of silver? In that day, you would get paid a day's labor in a piece of silver. So basically a day's work. So if you do the math on what's the average day's pay for an average job, right? Like it's not about how much, you know, a piece of silver. I could buy a piece of silver now for, you know, $12, whatever. But for them, it was a day's pay, 50,000 days pay. This is millions and millions worth of dollars of junk that they recognized was the devil's. It was demons. It, it was bad. You can do this, Right? You can have something in your house and you can be like, I know that this does not exalt the Lord. Or I put my trust in this to have power that Jesus has the power. Like the difference between magic and religion, you know, to somebody that's outside, I've had people comment to me that I, that my religion is just like magic. And it's, they think that magic is nonsense and religion is nonsense. Well, the difference between magic and religion is who has the power. Who do you recognize who has the power? If I can do, if I can, you know, get this food and get this thing and do this thing right, then my deity will do whatever I want my deity to do. That's magic. That's witchcraft. That's voodoo. Because who's in charge? I am. The difference there is Religion that's, that's pure is recognizing God has all the power and I'm serving him. And I can ask him to do things, but I want to submit to him. I don't want to be mad at him when he doesn't do what I want. When I don't get what I want from God, I'm not going to look at it and be like, oh, I must have prayed wrong. Because that's witchcraft. If I got the magic words wrong, now I'm, I'm into witchcraft, Right? Oh, maybe I didn't tithe right. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have done this thing or I should have said this wrong. That's all witchcraft. And what's crazy is that all goes back to this trying to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Trying to do it by works. Trying to do it by a bunch of deeds and making God like me by getting the magic words right. I have to end all my prayers in Jesus' name Amen, because otherwise I pray wrong and I don't say the magic words right. God doesn't hear me. Nonsense. 
God is in charge. And so if I've got anything in my life, like a magic book that's encouraged me, me to live my life the wrong way, where God doesn't have the power, I want to get rid of it. What's totally awesome, think of the church they could have built if they would have sold all those magic books and taken that money and built a temple. That would have been great. No, it would have been terrible. Burn that stuff. Wow. All kinds of awesome stuff was going on in the church of Ephesus. This was Paul's favorite church. This is where he spent the most time. He was the closest to all the Ephesian believers. He uh, is the only letter that he doesn't rebuke anybody or say anything mean in because they had it all right through the book of Ephesians. So after this, Paul's going to leave. He's going to go to Macedonia. What? You got this huge revival happening. All this awesome stuff. All these people. You know what? That's okay. I got to go back to Jerusalem and then I have to go to Rome. We're not going to talk any about that, but it's huge foreshadowing. It's like prophecy predicting the future. Oh my goodness. Right around that time, Paul is leaving a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis and made a lot of money off of Artemis. Said, hey, you know from this business we make a lot of money, guys. As you see in here, only in Ephesus, but all over Asia, Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying gods made with hands are not gods. So this Demetrius, he's saying people all over are hearing that Artemis isn't really a god. And that's bad. You know, we have a whole lot of business from this business. We have our wealth. That's what he says. There's danger not only that this trade of ours might come into disrepute. So he's kind of overplaying his cards. You guys, if people quit worshiping Artemis, we're not going to make any money. We're not going to make money making silver idols. So the, the way it would work, um, you travel all the way across the Mediterranean Sea. You come to Ephesus. You're like, wow, Artemis. This temple is awesome. I want to make an offering to her. How do I do it? They say, well, you buy a silver idol of her or a silver statue of her and you take it to the temple and you leave it there as a as an offering. And so where am I going to get a silver statue of Artemis? I'm going to go talk to Demetrius. And he's a silversmith and he's going to make my silver statue. And now I'm going to do it. Do you know? In time, the temple of Artemis in Ephesus became one of the, uh, like a bank where people that were really, really rich and they knew they wanted to put their money someplace where it would be safe would buy a whole bunch of silver and put it all into the temple of Artemis under their name and they could come back and get it back whenever they wanted. They could withdraw it. It was like a savings account. Of course, you got to pay Demetrius to make it. You got to pay all the priests and priestesses in the temple to keep it. But this, so this, this temple even became like a bank. So he overplays his cards. He's really in it for the money. But finally he says, oh, and not only is there danger to our trade, but people might not respect the great goddess Artemis. She'll be counted as nothing. She may even be deposed from her magnificence 
she whom all Asia and the world worship. So if I said, oh man, we're going to lose money on this. That's terrible. And they're going to be un-American. <laughs> right? He, he applies to their little patriotism of their hometown. And all of a sudden that gets everybody mad. They start a riot. Long story short, this whole amphitheater is filled with this crowd and they're all shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they're shouting and shouting and cheering for Artemis. This uh, stadium, so the Ford Center, the Ford Center downtown could hold 10,000 people. Robert Stadium and the Wrights Bowl, I think, can hold 12,000 people. This stadium, where they are, holds 24,000 people. It's a half circle that's 500 feet wide. So, like a football field and then another football field is how wide this thing is. So imagine two football fields, giant half circle. It's carved out of the side of a mountain. You can look it up on Google and you can see pictures of it. It's just massive. And it's filled with people and they're all shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. At one point, they're shouting for so long, so loud, they don't even know what they're yelling about. They're just shouting, Artemis, whatever. Paul wants to go speak to them. Just think about that thought for just a minute. There's 24,000 people angry at the Jews and angry at Paul. And Paul wants to go and stand in the front of that amphitheater to speak to them. I think, I think he wants to do it because he really thinks I could talk to them and they could all get saved. They could all come to believe in Jesus. We'd have, you know, Peter had the day of Pentecost and he had 3,000 people come and believe in one day. He hadn't ever been to Ephesus to this amphitheater with 24,000 people. It all settles down and just wears out. The magistrate of the city says, hey, all, you're going to get the Romans on us. They're going to kill us. We're not allowed to riot like this. You all need to chill. They haven't said anything bad about Artemis. Let's just let these people be. And that's my favorite line of the whole riot. Everybody is mad at the Christians because they're afraid that they're against Artemis. But when charges are brought against them, the guy says, no, these guys haven't said anything bad about Artemis. They're talking, basically he says, they're talking about their Jesus. Let them talk about their Jesus. They haven't said anything bad about Artemis. Go home. And the whole crowd goes home and it's all over. So I can go to work. I can go sit at coffee shops and I can talk to people about Jesus and about how awesome he is. But if anybody accuses, I mean, if we go out and we just talk about Jesus all the time, that's enough for us to talk about in his awesomeness. And if somebody says, you know what? I don't pay any attention to Dan Sullivan. He talks against Joe Biden. Well, you know what? I never heard Dan say anything against Joe Biden. Oh, I just, I can't listen to the thing he says. He's against Trump. Well, you know what? He never really talked anything against Trump. He just talks about Jesus. So people can argue with us and they can pick sides for anything that we speak against. 
But if we bring them to a point where all the only thing they're confronted with is Jesus, I think we've done right. And that's what happened here. And now what happens? Oh, this is my favorite part of talking about this, you guys. So, uh, and you guys been in the mall lately? Did you see all those silver statues of Artemis for sale? Hmm, no. Did you go to the Artemis bookstore on the other side of town? Hmm, nope. Too bad, Artemis. The only place you can get a statue of Artemis is in a gift shop in Ephesus. I was there, I saw them, and I did not buy one. I bought a mug at the place next door. Artemis is not known. Artemis has been wiped out. There are 24,000 people shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And not once did Paul preach against Artemis. He talked about Jesus. And so people started following Jesus. This is one of my favorite things. This is, this is 200 years, 200 AD. Uh, Artemis worship. Oh, no. Here we go. His the. Uh, well, I can't find the exact quote, so I'll just paraphrase it for you. Oh, no. Here it is. Uh, the second century in, in Ephesus, the sacrifices are down. Hardly anyone buys sacrificial meat. And the increasing success of Christian evangelism has gone so far that many silversmiths are out of business. <laughs> it took them 200 years, but that's what we have in the history books. Of, uh, Pliny, Pliny the Younger is the, is the historian there. Um, Jesus wins, you guys. And idols don't. It doesn't matter what the idol is. It doesn't matter how big her temple is. It doesn't matter how many temples she has built all the way from Syria to Athens. Any idol will be cast down and will lose at the name of Jesus. And so, yes, there's a ton in there. May we... May we not cling to idols. May we not cling to witchcraft and, and sorcery. You can see all of this stuff is going away. You can also see all of it is alive all over the place. And even as we see it, we don't go and say, hey, this is stupid. You shouldn't do this. Instead, it's so much better to say, can I tell you how powerful Jesus is? Can I tell you how great he is? And then... Maybe even our handkerchiefs and our aprons will heal people by God's power. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you sent your son into the world to live a life and to die for us and to live again. That you would send your Holy Spirit to be in us. That we wouldn't have to just live by a bunch of activities or a bunch of rules but that your very spirit would be in us to guide us and to help us. And I pray that you would do that this week, Lord. Help us to preach and to teach and to exalt your name and to talk about you, Jesus, and to talk about your sending of the Holy Spirit so that we'd be blameless when people argue, when people are upset, that they would realize that all we talked about was you. We love you and we praise you. Amen.